Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Well, welcome everybody. How's everybody doing in the room today? You guys good? Yes, welcome, welcome to our second gathering of our Sunday football Sunday. We're so glad you're here. Uh, By the way, any Bengals fans in the room today? Anybody Bengals fans? like a Presbyterian church in here, this right there. If you're Presbyterian, we love them. All right, any, any, any Rams fans in the house? Does anybody care about this game at all? How many of you just, how many just want to see the halftime show? Come on, be honest about that. It's going to be a good one. It's going to be a good one. All right, all right. Uh, my name is Danny Rivers, and I'm one of the pastors here at LifePoint. Hey, just before I jump into the message, first of all, welcome, by the way. Welcome, everybody, all of you who are guests with us today. Thank you so much. So much. I, I know we say this a lot, but it, it's really such a big deal to us that people would come for the first time or the second time or the hundredth time. It's really a big deal. Thank you all for, for being here. Um, just, just a note, next Sunday, next Sunday, we are going to change the, the, the gathering after this one uh, starts at 12 right now. We're going to move it to 1215 because our parking's been mad lately. Um, people are parking in the grass. People are having a hard time getting in. People have a hard time getting out, checking in, checking out kids. So we're going to just give us a little bit more space there. We're going to try that first. If that didn't work, we'll create space between all of our gatherings. Um, today it's not as bad as normal, but normally we have about 40 or 50 or 60 people sitting out there and parking everywhere. But um, we're going to just do our best to try to alleviate that. We want to make that as comfortable for you as possible. We've got a new golf cart out there to pick you up. Like if, you, if, the, if the guy's driving around and you need a ride, just wave at him or throw something. It'll be fine. It'll be good. Uh, And we're going to extend that parking lot as well here shortly. And God willing, we're going to just have to build a new building. Can I get an amen on that? We're going to just need to. This is, by the way, this is the kids' building uh, in phase two. This becomes a two-story kids and student building. And it'll be pretty awesome. And then we're going to build an auditorium just kind of right next to it right here. So that's coming, God willing, at some point. And you can be praying about that with us. Uh, Starting this series, Love, Dates, and Heartbreaks. And today I'm calling this message, The Pursuit of Happiness. The Pursuit of of happiness. Now, this is kind of a big picture message, meaning it's, I'm not going to give you a lot of practical steps. We're going to kind of unfold that over the next few weeks. Um, but I want to give you this concept today that I think could help. And, and let me start this. When we, when we do relationship series here, and these, this isn't a marriage series specifically, although it will involve that, it involves just any kind of relationship. But the hope is that God will help us to kind of regret-proof our relationships so that by the time we come to the end of our lives, whenever that is, hopefully it's a very long time, um, we don't live with a lot of relational regrets. And the second part of that for, for our relationship series is that we think about this in terms of from this day forward. And, and what I mean by that is we're not here, we can't change the past, right? Amen, somebody? We can't change the past. And so this is not about adding shame or guilt or whatever from anything that's happened in the past. What we're saying is as a team, as a pastoral group, um, we're here to fight for our futures relationally and, and, and to say from this day forward, things can be different because God's grace is sufficient for all of us. Amen, somebody. So, so let's jump in. I want to start right here. Um, it doesn't matter if you're single or you're married or you can't even get a date yet right now. Come on. Or if, if you're divorced or the new one over the last 10 years, it's complicated. Can I, can I get an amen for it's complicated? Right, I think we'd all agree that any relationship involving love is hard. So love is, is hard. So, so let me just say it like this. 
Some of you have relationships that are casual with people that you know. That's not hard, right? It's like, hey, what's up? And, and that's it. But anytime you add love to the mix, and I'm not just talking about romantic love. I'm talking about between kids and parents and siblings. It gets a little bit more complicated, right? Is that right? It's just a little bit more complicated. So it's hard to be in a relationship with somebody over a long period of time. I'm not saying it's impossible because a lot of people do it. I'm saying it's hard. And it's hard because generally a relationship in, involves two people, right? That's two people. And, and, and they're very different from one another. They were raised very differently in, in different households and with different ways of doing things. We all carry baggage relationally from our childhood, from our young adulthood, all the way through we carry baggage. We also, we prone, we're prone to sinning, right? We, we just, we sin sometimes, and a lot of times we sin against each other. And so we're saying to two people with all of that going on, hey, live happily ever after, right? And, and then, as a matter of fact, as a senior pastor for 14 years now of this church, I hope to be the senior pastor of this church until I'm not a senior pastor anymore and I retire or go off into the sunset or whatever. Like, I don't, this is it. This is my, this is my thing, okay? But I also was a, a, a staff pastor for 14 years before, this, uh, before we started this church. And I can say without question that the number one thing that people ask our help for as pastors, as leaders, is relationships. And, and it's not even close. Money sometimes, but mostly it's about relationships because relationships are hard. And it's no wonder that this is the case. Um, and it's kind of ironic, really, in, in, in light of how important relationships are. Um, we get no training on relationships, right? Um, you think about this. We don't do this in any area of life. If you have a job, probably you went to school for that job or you went to some kind of job training. Maybe it was a, a two-year program, four, six, eight, ten, twelve-year program. Matter of fact, you, when you got a driver's license, they didn't just hand that out like making it rain in the 10th grade, right? They didn't do that, right? You had to go, you had to go study a book that was really boring, right? Come on, can I get a word for that? And then you had, to, you had to drive around with some dude or some lady who looked stern and angry before you ever got in the car. And they have like a stamp that says fail on it, you know, like they're waiting for you to fail. It's hard, right? They don't just hand that out. You'd think then that our parents would have spent like months and years and thousands of dollars training us how to fall in love and to get married and to have relationships. But, but people from my generation and probably older, like the best thing we could hope for was a little bit of sort of anecdotal piece of advice, like don't go to bed angry. Now, you're welcome. Go off and have a happy marriage, right? Come on, y'all know what I'm saying? Right? Matter of fact, it's funny. Um, if you guys knew my dad, you would really think this is funny. Um, when I was just about to get married, I was 26 years old. By the way, I'm just going to say it out loud. I was a virgin, right? Okay. So I'm 26 years old, and my dad comes up to me uh, right like a couple days before I'm about to marry that beautiful lady right over there, and he hands me this little book about sex, and he's like, you might want to take a look at this, and he's like, bro hug, and then he just like, see ya. <laughs> like, that was our one and only sex talk, 26. I'm like, kind of, I haven't done, but I kind of know what's going down on that deal, but I'll take a look anyways, just in case, you know. But, but that's 10 times better than probably what his dad did, right? We learn over time. We evolve over time. Most of us weren't taught by really wise people how to have a good re- relationship or how to have a fantastic marriage. And we end up just learning then. Here's where we learn from culture, like from, be honest, television and movies. Come on, right? Like Disney movies, right? They ride off into the sunset happily ever after, right? We, we make assumptions based on what we saw around us, either for good or for bad, about how this stuff works, and then we just sort of went for it and, and hoped for the best. But by, by the way, uh, at LifePoint, we offer premarital counseling. 
with some fantastic people in our church who use a program called the Symbus program, which is world-class, world-class to prepare you for relationships. In fact, we've just decided as a pastoral team that we're just not going to do weddings anymore if people haven't gone through this. Because our job is to, to tie a knot that lasts a lifetime. Can I get an amen, somebody? Like, like, we're, just not gonna, like, we're not going to leave you hanging and just say, go out there and hope, hope you get it right. So, so today, I just want to dig down into one big idea. And this big idea is centered, and it's going to kind of inform the rest of the series, just so you know. Um, it, it's, it's centered in a cultural assumption that we make because nobody taught us differently. I'm not saying nobody. Most of us haven't learned this differently. And we drag this assumption into all of our relationships. And, and I believe it's so significant in our, in our culture that it's a leading cause. It's not the leading cause, but it's a leading cause for why relationships struggle and often fail. Now, before I tell you what it is, I want to tell you about the nature of assumptions. Okay, uh, Number one, um, your assumptions about how life should go, about relationships, they affect your decisions that you make. Your decisions affect your behavior, right? Does everybody get this, right? So uh, this is not an assumption, but gravity informs my decisions every day. When I'm on a tall place, I don't just decide to test gravity, right? Like, is this a real thing or not? I just assume that whoever invented it, whoever thought it up, they knew what they were talking about. Can I get an amen on that? I'm just not stepping off this ledge, right? So the second thing I know about assumptions is that they're often invisible to you, meaning you never, you never take the time to think about why you believe certain things or how you came to believe them, and, and so you, you don't question them. And, and, and the reason we do this is because we've lived with these cultural assumptions so long that we just take them for granted. I'll give you a perfect for instance. You may not know this, but your house, your car has a smell, yes or no? Right? But you don't smell it anymore. But if you go to somebody else's house, does their house have a smell? Yeah, and sometimes it's like, what, what is that? But you don't say that. You're just thinking that in your head. And then they get into your car, and they're like, dear God, what is that? Like, if you have little kids, your, your car smells like French fries and spilt milk. Yes, it does. That's why you trade them out every year, because it's like, man, I can't get rid of that smell. A little throw up in there mixture in there. Come on. You're welcome. You're welcome. I'm just trying to inspire your, your afternoon delight, food, food delights that you're going to have this afternoon. They're, they're invisible. That's what I'm saying. Now, I need to set this up to get us here. When I put this cultural assumption on the screen that is, affects your decisions and your behavior relationally and is most likely invisible to you, your reaction to it will be, okay, yeah, so what, right? But let me, let me give it to you. My relationship equals my happiness, Emojis for all the kids in the house today, for all the room, trying to be relevant, right? My, my relationship should make me happy, and so you're like, yeah, so what? What's the alternative? My relationship is supposed to make me mad, uh, bitter? They kind of do, right? I want, a, I want a better one, right? Of course my relationship should make me happy, but what's unsaid here is that the purpose of relationships are about making me happy and satisfied. Now, to take it to a 90s level, to to complete me. Can I get an amen from all the people, right? You complete me. When you're dating somebody and you start to feel like they're the one um, and you get, you get happy, right? And so people will say, hey, you know, girl, why, why are you getting so serious with this boy? And you're like, I don't know. He just makes me so happy, right? Thank you, babe, for supporting me. By the, <laughs> by the way, all that I know about good relationships and how to treat each other, I learned it from that girl right over there. Seriously. Seriously, I learned it from that girl right over there. 
like when I didn't know any of this and I did it all wrong, she did it right. And over time, she's helped me get this right. Happy Valentine's Day, by the way, as well. That was the present that I got for you. Don't be asking for flowers. <laughs> You're like, you're out. You know. Now, here's the other part of this. And just bear with me. I'm going to get to the, ver- the Bible in a minute. Science tells us that when we're in a new relationship that's exciting, that we're getting kind of serious about, that we have increased levels of dopamine flooding our brain. So, so in addition to making us happy, these new relationships, we're also basically kind of stoned the entire time of the new first few months of that. You're welcome for that imagery, right? And, and then we get married, and the dopamine levels start to go down, and they're like, what happened, you know, to the dope, you know? <laughs> I drank a lot of Big Red and a lot of coffee today, so I'm a little jacked up, okay? I'm all jacked up on Mountain Dew, Chip. I'll come at you like a spider monkey. Anybody know what I'm talking about? This guy's your pastor? What's happening here? Sorry. Sorry, babe. She wants to leave right now. All of this that I've said so far sort of codifies our cultural assumptions that relationships are supposed to be about making me happy. It's become deeply embedded in our culture. I'm going to tell you how I, I kind of thought about this when I was younger. You know, when you're a single guy, I'll just speak for myself here. When you're a single guy, you have a group of single friend, boy, you like their friends, they're all dudes, right? And then every now and then, one of, the, one of your friends gets married and he goes into this other land, this other realm of, it's like a, behind the mystical marriage curtain. And, and as a single guy, you're like, what's, what's happening over there? What's going on? And, and you know, what's, what, what's going on over there? And so we're over here, single dudes, we're playing ball whenever we want to, you know, we're gaming. We didn't have games back in my day. We were too old, too old for that. Um, we're, we're hanging out, we're doing whatever we want Whenever we want to, all of the money is ours. We spend it on whatever we want to spend it on. And all of a sudden, one of our dudes gets picked, right? It's like, it's like that machine where the claw gets a little stuffed animal out and drops it off. You remember that? Remember from Toy Story? The claw. The aliens are right there. And, ah, he, he was picked, right? And, and so, and then, then, then you know, the, one of our buds gets picked, and he's like, see ya, suckers, you know, and, and he, he disappears down the hole, and it's like, he's just gone, and we never see him again. He's married, you see. Is this true or not, right? And then one day, and you're like, where did he go, and what's happening over there? And then one day, finally, it's your turn, and the call comes for you, and it takes you and grabs you, and you're like, woohoo! and you're going to the other side of the curtain, and you get over there, and after you've been over there a while, you're looking around going, is this it? I, I kind of want to go back over there. Like, I have this bud. He was single a very long time, and he made a lot of money at, at one point in his life, and he was driving, right before I, I, he got married, I saw him, he was driving an Audi A8, which is like a ninety dollars to $100,000 car. I saw him after he got married, and he was driving an old Civic Come on, y'all. The claw came for him and took his Audi A8 with it. Come on, can I get an amen? I thought this was going to be like the dopamine thing all day, every day, and I'm not quite as happy as I thought it was going to be. But when we, when we bought into this, you're like, are you talking for marriage or against it? Talking for it. Hang on. Right? Right? 
we, we bought into this cultural assumption that relationships are about making me happy and we can get delusioned in relationships that are actually really healthy, really good because we believe that our individual happiness is the main thing in life because that's what culture tells us. And we can easily check in and out of relationships because we say, they're not making me happy anymore. We do this with cars, we do this with house, we do it with jobs, we do it all over the place. And we do it in relationships. You've seen people who've done this. They're not making me happy anymore, so they, they trade for the other one until they think they're going to find one. Eventually, he's going to make me happy. Now, here's the problem about happiness. When you dig down into it, I'm talking about as it relates to relational success. When you dig down to it, there's a few problems. Number one, your happiness is a moving target. So in other words, what you think is going to make you happy right now, six months from now, that doesn't make you happy anymore. You've bought something that you're like, man, when I, if I could just get that. And then three weeks later, you're like, why didn't I get the orange one? Or why didn't I get the one with the bigger tires? Yes or no, right? Our target is constantly moving. So our, uh, for, for us to put that expectation that you have to make me happy in our relationship is an impossible burden because nobody can pull that off because you don't even know what makes you happy from day to day to day, right? It moves, it changes. Happiness moves. And what's the implication is that not only is relationship supposed to make me happy, but you as the partner in this relationship are supposed to make me happy, but it's an impossible thing to do. Secondly, happiness is in conflict with itself. I'll give, I'll give you an example. I'll just talk to the men for a minute. So when you're young, you graduate college or whatever, you start in your career, the idea is I'm going to work hard, I'm going to work long, I'm going to, I'm going to figure this out, I want to climb the ladder, I want to make more money, I want to have more responsibility. Then you have a family, and, and so this is, a, a, this is what makes you happy. I want to grow and, and climb the ladder. But now you have a family, you want to spend time with them, you want to have a relationship with them, you want to be a good dad, you want to have good kids. Can these two worlds go, become in conflict with each other? Wanting to climb corporate ladder and having a healthy family, can they compete with each other, yes or no? They're in conflict with each other. The, the third thing is this, happiness is getting your way. Scientists who study this say that what makes people the most happy in the short run is getting their way. You want to eat, you eat. You want to go out, you go out. You want to hang out, you hang out. Whatever you want to do, you do that. That's what makes you happy. And yet, at the very root of that is something not good, selfishness. And then lastly, happiness does not equal love. Happiness does not necessarily they're two different things. And you know, if you've been in any kind of love relationship, whatever it is, that there will be times in a love relationship where you are asked to sacrifice something that you really want to do in order to make the other person happy. There will be sacrifice involved, yes or no. Those of you who've got kids, you used to have an Audi A8, now you have a Civic because you had kids. Can I get a witness? You're like, no, I never had an Audi A8, and I wish I had a Civic, right? Come on. <laughs> If you have a Civic, I'm not cracking on Civics. I, I had Honda Accords growing up, and they were always 10 years older than I was. Uh, so how does anybody in our culture where this assumption is present but invisible to us probably, how does anybody have a healthy relationship? Well, th that's the good news is there, the Bible talks about this. So Ephesians, if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 are all about relationships. I would challenge you to read them. And it's all about how to change relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is, from the inside out, as opposed to the way culture has said, just work on the outside, the fruit things, and you'll address the root. That's not how it works. So Paul gives us a posture. And this is the big principle that I want you to take away. A posture when it comes to any kind of relationships. This is verse 21. 
Nobody likes this word, but here we go. Ready? Say it with me. Submit to one another. Why? Out of reverence for Christ. Now, nobody likes the word submit. It's a bad word in our culture. But submission in the way Paul is describing it is a two-way street. Submit. Now, because there's another verse that says, wives, submit to your husbands, right? And so some dudes like to use that one as a way of sort of getting over on their wives. No, no, no. This is, the, this is the penultimate. This is the one, right? This is the ultimate. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul says the foundation of having a healthy relationship is mutual submission. So it would be like, babe, um, your happiness, you're, you're the priority. And she would say back to me, no, babe, it's your, your relationship. You're the priority. And I would say, no, no, it's you're the priority in our relationship. And then we would turn into an argument and it would be a whole deal. Come on, can I get an amen on that, right? You know, no, not really. Submit. We, we don't like this word, and it makes us tense up um, because of our cultural assumptions that is growing increasingly. But, by the way, in our society, we are increasingly focusing on the rights and the, of individuals to the, to, to the detriment of the whole a lot of times, right? I'm not saying it's always the wrong thing. I'm just saying a lot of times that's what happens. And so the focus on self is supposed to make us happier, but yet there is, there is data that's been going for about 17 years now that as a society, Americans and really all of the world, our personal happiness has gone down every single year for the last 17 years. They're, they're, they have ways of, of gauging it. And we're going, why aren't we more happy if we're getting our way all the time? Because happiness does not equal I mean, uh, selfishness does not equal happiness, and, and you, won't very, you, you won't often find a, a selfish person who's very happy. I'll just throw that out there. So, so the way the Bible means the word submit is, is, is it's beautiful, and it's meant to bring the best out in each other. So submit, the way Paul means it, is a voluntary attitude of, number one, giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. So four things. Now, this seems like doormat language. Like, if I do this, I'm going to become a doormat. And that is true if you're not doing this mutually. Yes or no? But what this is is teamwork. This is teamwork attitude, right? It's teammate language. This is what teammates, if you're on a football team, this is what you want from your teammates. This is an ideal teammate. It takes responsibility, carries the burden. By the way, the Bible says that we are in Thessalonians, that we are to carry one another's burdens, and in this way we fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Love your neighbor as much as yourself, right? That's what this word means. So our cultural assumption, though, is about, about me, and the Bible saying, no, this is about us, so that we is greater than me, and it can't be about we if it's all about me. This is powerful whether you know it or not. This is straight from the text. So here's the bottom line of the whole thing. This is what Paul is saying here, and we're going to get into one more thing here in a moment. He's saying put love ahead of happiness. Where the culture says your happiness is the main thing, Paul says, no, 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 put love, put, put others before personal happiness. Now, I wish you all the happiness in the world. Honestly, I really do. But I want you to leave here, at least hearing, whether you believe it or not, that when you put your happiness first in a relationship, you won't get love. You won't get biblical love. You won't get lasting love and happiness. You may last. You may last just by grit, grind, and grace, 
But you won't be filled with joy and happiness and contentment in a relationship if your happiness, your personal happiness, comes before the relationship. Let me finish with another passage, Philippians 2, verse 3. This is a follow-up to Ephesians 5.21. Paul says, come on, can you say this with me? Do nothing, that was weak, come on, ready? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Right? Most of our, our, our social media platforms are filled with these two things, right? And that's just your parents, right? And your kids, right? Do, no, I'm kidding. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Now, if we were just to do this part right here and not say another thing, if we were just to practice this, it could change not only our relationships, it could change the whole world. In fact, this phrase, selfish ambition, has to do with competition. Like, don't do anything out of competition with a person that you love. Try to remove, Paul says, any element of competition. Don't compete with him or her. And, and I'm not talking about in fun ways that we get and have fun. I'm talking about like the real things. And, in other words, what he's saying here is stop being selfish in your relationships. Selfish people, again, are never ultimately happy people. They're not. So, in other words... He's saying, don't try to prove you're smarter than him. Don't try to attempt to prove that she's dumber than you. Don't underscore the fact that he didn't quite get that story the way it was supposed to be. Like, don't try to make it seem like you're working harder than he or she is. Matter of fact, just don't keep score at all, right? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 that love keeps no record, right? Doesn't keep score, right? And he says, if you want to stay in love, listen to this. But rather, in contrast to vain conceit and, 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 and all of that, he says, but rather in humility of mind, say this with me, value others, how? Above yourselves, right? Now, I know this isn't something practical that you can walk out of today, but I want you to pick the big picture of this idea of how to have a healthy, happy relationship, and this is it right here. Value others. In other words, act as if that person is more important than you are in your relationships with each other. Even if you'd say, they're, well, they're really not. It doesn't matter. This is what Paul says. Every single day, every single decision, you're not going to get it perfect all the time. None of us do, right? But live as if, respond as if, react as if, especially in times of anger or tension, react as if, initiate as if that person is literally more important in this world than you are. You might ask the question, but, but how far are we supposed to take this? So Paul wants to answer that. He brings Jesus into the mix. He says, verse 5, because it's challenging. In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of mind. Right? It's, it's, meaning, it's a decision that you make. Always a decision that you make. Have, make the same decision of mind that Christ did. This is what he's saying. Choose the same thing he did for in your relationships with one another. Now... This is challenging. So here's what he's saying. In your relationships with, with, with him or her, do it the same way that, that, that your Savior has approached his relationship with you. And this is an imperative. This is a, a command. It's not like an option, like maybe. It's not squishy. It's like this is, you want a healthy whole relationship, happy relationship, this is how you do it. Verse 6, who, he's talking about Jesus now, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used. Other translations says something to be grasped, which I love that language, to his own advantage, meaning that when Jesus was walking this earth, he never sort of used the God button to get his own way with other people. He never did that. 
By the way, wouldn't you love to have a God button in your car on, the, on Calabra or when you're in the traffic? It's like, cut me off again, pushing the God button. You're now in the swamp of eternal sadness with Donkey and Shrek. You, right? You're there. I would love that button sometimes. For, for Jesus. I mean, you know what I'm saying? So, so he never, this is what Paul's saying, he never leveraged what was coming to him, what was due him, who he was, to his own advantage ever. Paul says, oh yeah, by the way, that's how you're supposed to love each other. I, I know you, you would say, I know you're the man, so, so what? I know you got there first, so what? I know you had a hard day, so what? I, I'm, not being, I'm not being contrary, I'm just saying, l- listen to me real quick. I know you deserve, I know you have the right to, I know that's what she said she would do, I know he promised this, I know culture says that your happiness comes first, but listen, so what? You have every right in the world to demand your way, I get it, I understand that, but but I'm saying, Paul, Paul is saying, I get all that, but I'm asking you not to demand your way, not to take advantage of your position or your power or your, your authority or whatever it is because your Savior, when he was walking this earth, he chose not to do that as well. And I want you to have this attitude, Paul says, because our, his way, God's way, is better than your way and your way is causing massive problems in your personal relationships and really in all of our world. The selfishness is causing massive damage in our world today, yes or no, Right? Verse 7, rather, instead of what he should have done, what he could have done, rather, he made himself nothing. The literal translation is he emptied himself. All of his rank and all of his rights and all the hay he had coming to him, it was, if it was a bucket, he just took it out when he came to earth and he sort of dumped it out and, 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 he, and he emptied himself. And he's like, he, he, all of the respect and all the rights, I'm emptying myself. And, and Paul says, this is how I want you to approach your relationship. And here's my observation. 50 years old now, 28, 30 years now in ministry really, 28 of those full-time. My observation is that when you meet people who have an amazing relationship and they have had for a long time, not perfect, not without its flaws, but they've been in love a very long time, my observation is this is what you find. They've learned how in their own way in this particular relationship, maybe not in all of them, but in this particular relationship to empty themselves for the sake of the other person. He emptied himself by taking, look what he did. He made himself nothing. He emptied himself by taking the very nature of a, say this with me. We have two words now, submit and serve. No one likes either one of these words. Can can I just read for you here? I I didn't tell them to put this on the screen, so let me just read this to you. This is 1 Corinthians 13. Paul's talking about love. Here's, Here's what he says. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not selfish like we read. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. This is what Paul is saying with these texts. Oh, it is on the screen. (laughs) Magic. (laughs) You guys are awesome back there. Right? They they learn from the last message, right? (laughs) Submit and serve. This is what Paul is saying here. Like, Like, I don't have any real big handles for you to walk out with any practical steps. But if you were just to read this, 1 Corinthians 13... 
And there's so many handles there. I just started practicing that. He emptied himself by taking on the very nature of a servant. But wait, you're, you're God. Yeah, I know that. Right? Uh, but you deserve. Yeah, I know what I deserve. But you have a right to. Yeah, but, but in heaven you are. Yeah, I know all of that. But I've made a decision. I'm going to do something different than what people expect. I'm going to empty myself. And for the sake of humanity, I'm going to take on the nature of a servant. And I'm going to submit my stuff for your stuff. Verse 8, and being found in appearance as a human he humbled himself. Do you know what the word humble means in this context? It means he took himself from here and he placed himself under. Placed himself under what? Under whom? You and me. Voluntarily, he decides, I'm going to empty myself of all that's coming to me, all of my rights, all of the worship, all of the praise. I'm going to do that and I'm going to put myself under. I'm going to humble myself under you. Not because I had to, not because anybody made me, but because he chose to. He made a decision that this is what love looks like. Not about all about my happiness. I'm here to serve, serve and submit. Now, what did it look like for him to do this? Was it that he started to come on home when he said he would? No, harder than that. Is that that he complimented, you know, the people who cooked for him sometimes? No, harder than that. Was it that he stayed, come on, stayed on budget all the time? No, it's harder than that. Is it because he kept his body in shape because he ate too much carne guisada and big red on the afternoon, right? No, no, harder than that. And being found in a human appearance, he humbled himself. And then look what he said. By becoming obedient to death. Not just any kind of death, even death on a cross, which was the most humiliating, most shameful way to die in this culture. In the same way that if somebody said, how did your son die? He died of lethal injection. Everybody knows what that means. That's what this phrase means. It's the same kind of deal here. How far do you take this, Jesus? How how far do you take this submit and serve thing? Well, I went ahead and died for you. So maybe you could just do what you promised you'd do. Maybe you could just be kind. Maybe you could just be gracious. Maybe you could just give each other the benefit of the doubt. Maybe you could just show respect to one another. Now, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is Ephesians 5, 21 again. Here's what, what, what that out of reverence for Christ comes in. This is where this comes in. Like out of reverence to what he did for you, would you please, would you please make each other a bigger deal than you make yourself? Do you see this? Out of reverence for Christ. Could, could you just show kindness and grace and love and forgiveness and patience with one another? Now, that's difficult, is it? Yes or no? Difficult. Like, oh, quick, Danny, of course he could do it. He was God. No, no, he emptied himself of that. Not of his deity, but of all of his rights and ranks. He did this just in the same way we we're supposed to do it. Let me tell you something, okay? This is the linchpin. God doesn't ask of you of anything in his scriptures, anything, any of his commands in the Bible. He actually says they're not burdensome. They're never burdensome. He says he doesn't ask us to do anything that is not for our ultimate good. Please hear this. So like the reason he asks us to submit to one another is because at the end of the day, when couples practice this, when parents and kids practice this, when siblings practice this, when they both do this, putting each other first, making each other the priority and more important than the other person, do you know what the net result of this kind of lifestyle is? It's relational happiness 
every single time. And culture says the pursuit of happiness is done by making it all about me. And God says, no, the pursuit of happiness, if you want to get to happiness, you're going to find it in servanthood and mutual submission to each other. What happy couples know is that submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ is ultimately for your good and for your happiness. 24 years now of marriage. I know that some of you, got, you guys got me beat by a mile. I'm, I'm talking to the younger couples. I'm talking to the, the students. I'm talking to young adults who are not married yet. If you could get this now and not in 15 or 20 years from now, it's going to be a different deal for you. I promise you. What happy couples know that is that the elusive nature of happiness is found in mutual submission. You know that older couple that you admire whose marriage you think, man, if, babe, if we could have one like that, this would be like the real win. That couple practices this, I promise you. They may not even be believers, but they have figured this bit of wisdom out that it can't be about me if it's gonna be about we. Right? And every couple that you know that doesn't have a good marriage and, 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 and their mar- or their marriage has failed, and maybe that's been you, they didn't practice this. It really is this simple. I know there are complicating factors, but the complicating factors come when people are selfish. When people decide they want something that they're not supposed to have more than they want each other. That's where that happens. So, so, so question for you to wrestle with maybe later on, after the game, after the food coma, come on somebody, right? tomorrow maybe, is where are you being selfish in your relationships with another person? Siblings, spouses, boyfriend, girlfriend, dating, fiance, where are you being selfish? Now this takes courage because what you're going to discover is going to threaten what you think is your happiness right now. And you're going to have to make a decision in that moment to do what Jesus did, to do what Paul said. It's going to threaten what you think is happiness in the short run. But it's going to lead to, if you'll push on through, it's going to lead to real happiness. i got to wrap up right here. And this is the gospel part of this. Because, listen, the gospel is not just what saves us. It's what keeps us all the way through. And it affects every area of our life. So here's the truth. And this is all of the New Testament. For Jesus to have a relationship with us, he had to let go of his place of authority for a, for a season. He had to let go of his rights and his rank and his privilege. He had to let go of it, all of it. He could have hung on to it, all of it. But if he had done that, he would never have had a relationship with us, ever. So, so in order for him to have a relationship with us, which is why he came in the first place, which is to pay the price for our sin, to pay the penalty, to, to make a way for us to have access to God. He had to give up what he had coming. He had to walk away from that, and he had to put himself under or submit himself, his best interests, for our best interests. Who, who, who Hebrews says, who for the joy set before him, which was the joy was relationship with us, he endured the, the agony and the shame of the cross. I'm going to make their interests, their needs more important than mine. I'm going to have to do this because your greatest interest and my greatest interest is that we were separated from God 
because of sin, and somebody had to come and fix that for us. So Jesus left behind the glory, the splendor of heaven, and came down here to make our big deal his big deal. Folks, if we keep making it all about us, if we keep pushing our way above everybody else's way, if we keep lording it over our kids or lording it over our spouses or lording it over each other, we will never find, we will never discover real authentic happiness or the kind of peace that can inhabit a home like you can't believe. We'll never get it. You can't have it both ways. You can't make it about you and hope for a good we too. You can't do that. We can't have, God, God himself had to, to put his deal underneath for, for, for our sakes. And we can't have it either. You can get what you deserve and sacrifice the relationship accordingly, or you can mutually submit and serve the other person that you want a great relationship with and not get all that you deserve and give up some of your rights and stay in love, but you can't have it both ways. And my challenge to you, my challenge to me, it's something that I'm working on, is that God would help me, God would help me, God would show me, God would, by His Spirit, would convict me, God would reveal to me the places in my life where I'm making it all about me. And ch- chances are, chances are, it's not just me. Chances are it's all of us who need to work on this. Can I say, can I get an amen from somebody? So Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for the word of the Lord. God, I, I um, if I didn't get this right, and it's, that's very likely, I just pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would fill in the gaps your spirit would convict us, that your spirit would reveal to us the places in our lives where we've bought into this cultural assumption that it has to be about my happiness, Lord. I pray that we would see that in, in every, every decision that we're making, in every way that we're treating one another. I'm praying that love um, would come to bear, would, would, would take first place in our lives over our own happiness. And, and, and what's ironic is that when we do this, we'll actually discover and find real happiness. And I'm praying for marriages in this room. God, some of these marriages may, may be in trouble right now. God, I know that that's been the case. I know, I know how that works, Lord. I just know it happens. It's happened in my life. God, I just pray that you give strength and purpose and renew um, renew their, their commitment to one another, God. I'm praying for sibling relationships in this room. I'm praying, God, for a parent and kid relationships in this room, God, which might be in trouble or might be struggling. God, I'm just praying that grace and love and wisdom would be part of our story, God, that you would give us the, the wisdom to see the right way to be. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said a good amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so much. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.